Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome those online. Glad to have you with us. And uh, James Heinsen is going to be bringing us the sermon. Ursula will be leading communion a little later. My name's Eleanor, people don't know. Part of, I'm part of the congregation here at Christchurch. <clears throat> you saw that, Ukrainians singing on the streets. I love to think that God speaks all the language in the world. He even understands Ukrainian. Isn't that wonderful? He's not just British. Sorry to be sarcastic. Sometimes, I know we know it, but sometimes it's good to be reminded. <clears throat> we'll pray for Ukraine a little later on as well, and I've asked Ian to pop it on at the end of the service too. Um, <clears throat> so if you choose, you can sit and quietly be praying for Ukraine again. <clears throat> Ursula, do you have a note? No, it's Peter, isn't it? And then James. Good morning, everybody. Just two things. Uh, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, the start of Lent. Uh, so our service uh, is <clears throat> 7 p.m. on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday. So 7 o'clock Wednesday evening, Ash Wednesday service. Um, some sad news to let you know about. Um, Dave Watts's mother died on Wednesday morning. Um, uh, she died peacefully after a long illness, uh, Dave has let me know. So uh, let's pray for Dave and, and all his family, shall we? Uh, Father, we, we do lift to Dave and Sally and uh, Tom and Emily at this sad time as they uh, mourn Dave's mum. Uh, we pray you'd be with them as they uh, mourn her and as they remember her with joy. Uh, we pray that you'd be with them and bless them and give them, give them all your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. James told me something this morning. I said, will you come and tell everybody? Uh, this is a kind of strange announcement, especially as I can't see Sue here yet. Um, uh, on Friday in school, we had a bake sale to raise money for, for the Syria-Turkey earthquake appeal, which was great. Um, but in school, we have two Ukrainian students, um, one of whom uh, is there with her family. And her mother cooked this amazingly large Ukrainian honey cake for, for the bake sale. And it looks so big and so beautiful that I decided to buy it rather than kind of chop it up into to slices. Um, so hopefully if Sue does come with it, <laughs> uh, there should be some Ukrainian cake to have over coffee. Um, she doesn't know I've made this announcement, so that might come as a bit of a surprise, surprise to her. Um, it has got one slice missing because I thought it was important that I tasted it <laughs> before offering it to, to other people. So it's a gorgeous cake if it arrives. Well, it's a gorgeous cake if it doesn't, but hopefully you'll be able to share it. And I'm sure we can still pray while eating cake and whatever. Just a moment of quiet first. So I found this little litany, and uh, let's say together the words in heavy type. Waken me, O Lord. 
open my eyes to your glory. Waken me, O Lord, to your risen power. Waken me, O Lord, to your peace here today. Waken me, O Lord, to your glory. And we'll sing all heaven declares. Would you like to stand? Would you like to be seated? And together we will say, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts <clears throat> by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, The first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Lord, have mercy. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven, and to bring us to eternal life. So let's confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. 
this is a different confession and I've asked Ian to show it to us that we'll read it in silence before we say it together. From the beginning, let's say together. Lord of all compassion, we confess the sins of our bodies. We have looked at and listened to things which detract from you and compromised our faith by being in the wrong place. And we confess sins of our minds we have had negative thoughts, hurtful thoughts, judgmental thoughts, wait. And we confess sins of our spirits. We have given up, despaired, lost sight of your way, neglected to read your word, and so been drawn into temptation. Together, we are sorry and ask again that you would forgive us, restore us, and by your grace, guide us in your way in the days to come. May Almighty God, who sent his Son into the world to save sinners, bring us his pardon and peace, now and forever. Amen. We're going to sing again. We're going to sing Purify My Heart. I suggest we stay seated as we sing it in a prayerful sort of way.
and the collect for today. Let's pray. Almighty Father, whose Son was revealed in majesty before he suffered death upon the cross, give us grace to perceive his glory, that we may be strengthened to suffer with him and be changed into his likeness from, from glory to glory, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So I'll just pray for us and for Peter as he preaches. Father God, thank you for the thought, the planning that your Holy Spirit has led into this moment during the week. Your Holy Spirit has led Peter to know what it is you want to say. Father, open our hearts, I pray, as we hear your word from the Bible and through Peter. In Jesus' name, amen. Pauline. reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. It's on page 984 in your church Bibles. <clears throat> After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I'm really sorry, you all heard the prayer. It's James. 
faith. The Lord, forgive me. Thought I'd been let off the hook then for a, <laughs> for, for a moment. And, uh, um, so a little bit confusing. And, and, um, and John Farrow gave me, um, or no, I think uh, Carolyn gave me a, a commentary on Isaiah back that, that uh, John Langridge had borrowed. So that was also confusing. Just to confirm that I, my name is James and um, I am going to be preaching on, on the passage uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel on, on the, the Transfiguration. I checked with Ursula this morning, because I, I, I kind of assumed that with so many kind of Anglican days and, and festivals and celebrations that there would be one about the Transfiguration, but apparently there's, there's not. Um, there's no kind of special Anglican day, but I'm willing to be corrected on that. Um, but it's an is it's in July, thank you, right. <laughs> okay. Um, this is an amazing event, which I sometimes think is a little bit overlooked. Um, I, I, Kind of shared with various folks. I'd never heard a sermon on the Transfiguration before, and certainly um, in all my Christian kind of experience, and I've, I've never given one either. So it was a, a great opportunity to kind of look and research and, and find out more about this hugely kind of significant event um, when Jesus took some of his disciples up a mountain, and he was changed. We'll, we'll look at a little bit more at how he was changed uh, later on. I would encourage you, if you've got a, a, a Bible handy, to, to kind of have that passage from uh, Matthew in front of you. Um, and also, uh, you might like to keep your, your kind of fingers in, in to Peter as well, because Peter mentions uh, the transfiguration uh, there as well. So it's Matthew chapter 17, um, says he hurriedly finding it again, and uh, to Peter. The story of the Transfiguration appears in the three Synoptic Gospels, um, each one with, with slightly different details. And then Peter describes his experience of going up the mountain with Jesus in his second letter. Um, so we're going to kind of bring all that together, hopefully, in, in this message. And I'd like to say three things. First of all, kind of exactly what did happen? What took place on that day? Um, and then secondly, look at how this affected Jesus, or how it might have affected Jesus, and how it affected the, the, the three disciples that went up the mountain with him. So that's the second point. And then the third point, obviously, is, is what we can learn from that. You know, how, do, how does this historic event, historical happening, uh, affect our Christian lives and, and how we kind of live as Christians? Last week, um, John Langridge mentioned that whenever you're looking at a single passage from the Bible, it, it's helpful to kind of look at what happened before and then what happened afterwards to put that whole passage in, in context. <clears throat> and I think that's, that's good practice, really, in interpreting what's happening in, in the Word of God. And the transfiguration is really, really important because it took place six days or very soon after uh, Jesus had first declared to his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified, to be killed, and that he would rise again from the, the dead. Uh, in chapter 16 and, and verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
on the third day, <coughs> sorry, must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That's the context. That, that was the first time Jesus had said that. That was the first time the disciples had heard that. And true to form, Peter then took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. And, and we have this famous saying from Jesus where he turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me or get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me because Peter found that idea of Jesus' death and his resurrection really difficult to understand. And more about that later. So six days after that, uh, Jesus took Peter and James and John up to a high mountain where they were alone. Um, <clears throat> Luke tells us they went up to, to pray, um, and it was there that Jesus was kind of bodily changed. Um, we're told in, in the reading from, from, from Matthew that he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. As I shall say later, we don't quite know exactly what happened, but the Greek word is metamorphosed. So we, we, we all know that word in terms of, of, of kind of what that means. That means changed in some way. It wasn't just that his clothes shone, but somehow he was bodily changed. We don't know how. Um, <clears throat> we don't know what the process was, but it's very difficult to express things like that, spiritual, amazing miracles um, in, in human words. Luke then says, and they all say, that, that basically Jesus was then talking to uh, Moses and Elijah. And um, I think it's in Luke's gospel where the topic of their conversation was mentioned. He was talking about his departure that was to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. That's what he was talking to uh, Moses and, and Elijah about. Luke also tells us um, that the three disciples uh, were sleepy. Um, and um, basically they woke up when this happened, or they kind of came out of their slumber when this happened. Mark says they were frightened, and it was because that Peter was frightened that he kind of suddenly came out with this kind of rather odd statement about building shelters for them. Um, and Matthew says they fell on their face and they were terrified. It was a frightening, terrifying experience for them, suddenly to be confronted by this transfigured uh, Jesus. I sometimes think when we read the Bible, we just read it very superficially. We think, yep, that happened, and kind of move on, rather than trying to put ourselves in the position of those three disciples. On top of a mountain, it was misty because there was a cloud that came down. Uh, it must have been a terrifying but amazing experience. And then we have God speaking to the disciples out of the cloud. This is the second time um, in, in the kind of the story of Jesus' life where God actually speaks. First time, of course, was associated with John the Baptist, where God actually spoke to Jesus. Here, God is speaking to the three disciples. And what he says is recorded in the three accounts in slightly different ways, but the message is that God says that God affirms that Jesus is his son, that he's chosen him, that he loves him, he's pleased with him, and that the disciples need to listen to him. That was what uh, God was saying. And then suddenly, it all ended. The, the disciples looked up, uh, the cloud had disappeared, Moses and Elijah had disappeared, and they were just standing with Jesus. We're not told, we're probably in an untransfigured state. And they were alone. <clears throat> and then they walked down the mountain, uh, where Jesus then tells them, 
uh, not to tell anybody about what they'd seen, to keep it to themselves. Um, and this kind of slightly puzzled the disciples, and they started asking questions about Elijah uh, in a section that we didn't read. Um, Elijah, Jesus says, was, was prophesied to come, and Elijah was actually had come in, in the form uh, of John the Baptist. So that, that, that's what happened on top of this mountain. Now, there's a lot um, that we don't know, and a lot of kind of questions that I'm sure kind of come to your mind. Um, things that we don't know about what happened or, or puzzle us a little bit. I'm just going to mention some of them, but I don't want to get sidetracked with them because it's very easy um, to get sidetracked on little messages and little questions that kind of aren't necessarily relevant to the big picture of what um, Matthew and Luke and, and Mark are trying to say. So, for example, we don't know which mountain they went up. Theologians guess, um, but we don't actually know which one. So maybe it's not that important that we do know. Um, we don't know how the disciples knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Um, probably Jesus told them, but you know, you, you have, I, I kind of vision two kind of old bearded men um, standing in front of them. How, how do you know who they are? There are lots of old bearded prophets that they might have been. I guess that Jesus probably told them, but you know, that's another thing that we don't know. We can work it out. We don't know, and this is important exactly, um, what happened to Jesus, how he was transfigured. Um, more a little bit about this, this, this later, but you know, we're not told exactly what happened. We know some of the details of what Moses and Elijah were, and Jesus were talking about, um, his departure and the fulfillment, but we don't know everything. We don't know exactly why Jesus chose the disciples he did choose. We don't know why the disciples were sleepy. Um, we don't know what they prayed about. There's lots of things that we don't know. Um, <clears throat> and, and what I'd like to do is try, and it's always very dangerous when you don't know something. It's always, you can have lots of theories and you can get sidetracked and uh, you can kind of tie yourself in knots trying to work things out. I take a very simplistic approach that if, if God hasn't told us these things, he doesn't want us to know them. Um, we can have theories and ideas, but, but we shouldn't get sidetracked to them because sometimes if we do, we miss the main message of what Jesus and what God is trying to say to us. Uh, so this is what I want to try and get at in a few moments is what is the real meaning of the transfiguration for Jesus, for the disciples and us? And I am going to have to do some kind of interpretation, some kind of hopefully spirit-guided thinking as to what happened in this historical event. As I've mentioned, so let's, let's look at what's, what the, what's the transfiguration about for Jesus and uh, the disciples. As I mentioned, this comes immediately after Jesus had made a, a declaration to his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to be crucified, and he was going to rise again. And this crucifixion and, and resurrection were hugely challenging for Jesus. We, we know that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane just before um, those, those amazing events um, and he was praying, that it wasn't easy for Jesus, I believe, to go through the agony that God had sent him uh, to, to go through. You know, of course, at no time did he want to kind of get out of it, um, but it was still a kind of agonizing uh, situation for Jesus to go through, to take the sins of the world Upon himself. And 
you know, I think Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses represents, um, we think, the law and, and Elijah the prophets. And I think Peter spoke, that is Peter, our pastor, um, spoke a few weeks ago, didn't he, about Jesus saying he was coming to fulfill the law and the prophets. So maybe there's some encouragement to Jesus if he needed it that yet he was there to fulfill what God had promised to the people of Israel and, th and, <clears throat> and also to the Gentiles, to fulfill the law and the prophets. Maybe that's what he was talking about to Elijah and, and, and Moses, discussing his departure. I wonder what they said about his departure, how they were encouraging Jesus about the fact he was going to die and raise from the dead again. They might have been encouraging, but, but kind of who knows? Who knows whether that was it, but I'd like to think that was possibly um, part of it. And then we have Jesus listening to what God said. Now, God was speaking to the disciples, um, but Jesus was there listening to it, and he couldn't have failed to hear. Here is God again saying, this is my son. And Jesus would have been probably encouraged by that. God saying, you're my son. I love you. This is my son whom I love. And God's love then is reaffirmed uh, to, to Jesus. Um, I am well pleased. Uh, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God is pleased with Jesus and his, his mission. Um, and then listen to him. It's encouraging the disciples to listen to him. Now although that was said to the disciples, that cannot have failed really to have had an effect on, on Jesus as well to kind of reaffirm that he is loved by his father, even though he is going to his death and resurrection, to be reaffirmed that he is doing the kind of right thing, that God is pleased with Jesus' obedience to him and what had been prophesied and, and his word. So I, th I think, although this whole event is really focused on the disciples, Jesus would have been encouraged and strengthened as well. Having said that, I think this event was really for the disciples. It was for the disciples and, and their mission. Um, <clears throat> they, were, they were not just there as observers. They weren't just there to keep Jesus company. They weren't just there um, kind of for a better story, as it were. They were there for a purpose. The whole thing happened uh, for them. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit later about Peter, because as I was reading this, um, that's Peter in the book, the, the Bible, not, not that Peter. Um, as, as, um, as I was reading this, I, I realized that, you know, we know more about Peter's kind of Christian journey, don't we, than, than anybody else almost in, in, in the New Testament. We know about his failures, we know about his successes. Um, most of the other disciples, we just know about their successes and what they said, but, but Peter comes out as an amazing disciple, but one who failed God at times, but also had of amazing spiritual journeys and I kind of feel a slight empathy with with Peter um, not because I'm anything like him at all except that like Peter I do very often open my mouth before putting my brain in gear and and, and that sometimes causes similar chaos but Peter was a guy who made mistakes but coming back to the the, the transfiguration what did it do uh, for the disciples um, well I think it did a number of things one thing I sometimes think we underestimate when we're reading the Word of God is how challenging 
meeting Jesus was for these ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors. <clears throat> they met Jesus, they were following Jesus, but their whole world had been turned upside down. Um, seeing all the miracles, that was amazing enough, being with Jesus as he healed people, as he fed people, as he spoke to people, that would have been amazing enough as a kind of physical part of the journey. But it was a huge spiritual challenge as well for them. They'd spent their whole lives growing up with a different picture of the Messiah. And here comes Jesus coming along with a completely different uh, message about what the Messiah was. You know, before Jesus came, all the disciples were waiting for this Messiah that they'd been told uh, would rescue Israel and restore Israel. They were possibly thinking of some military character who would throw out the Romans. Here comes Jesus, who is preaching a completely different view about what the Messiah was. And that's very difficult to, to empathize with that. I don't know whether anybody here has had a very strong belief in something completely turned on its head. I'm, I'm desperately trying to think of examples of, of that. But, but try and put yourself in that position of having your whole spiritual world turned on its head by Jesus. And what the transfiguration did, I believe, was to offer that confirmation that the journey they were on was the right one. They were doing God's will. And God himself was speaking directly to them, giving them that confirmation. They heard the voice of God. And although this is kind of slightly uncertain, <coughs> um, some of the commentators mention it, that they possibly saw Jesus in his transfigured state as God. They'd seen him as man, but somehow in this transfigured state, he was actually a, a kind of some physical representation of a holy being, of God, and maybe something like an angel or, or, or whatever. But Jesus was changed, and they were seeing the physical God, as it were, as well as hearing God um, talk about um, Jesus and, and affirming Jesus as his son. And this amazing event <coughs> um, was really an affirmation to the disciples to kind of affirm the message that Jesus had given them about his death and resurrection and to affirm the fact that they were kind of doing the right thing. They were believing in the true uh, Messiah. Um, Peter, in his letter, uses this wonderful phrase that they were not following cunningly designed, uh, disguised fables. Um, I love that phrase in the authorised version. The, the one in the New International Version is cleverly devised stories, which is far less strong than cunningly devised fables. They, they weren't being led astray. They were following um, the, the, the truth. And <coughs> they were, they basically, their journey would continue after the transfiguration. And although they were told not to tell people about it, something I always find strange in, in Jesus' commands, um, they would probably remember it when Jesus did die and was resurrected. They would be thinking, yeah, he told us this was going to happen. And it was reaffirmed um, on, as, well, as Jesus was transfigured. Um, interestingly, Peter also uses this experience to encourage others. Um, so when, if just, just very quickly to read from, from, from 2 Peter. Um, <clears throat> so... For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I think that's a reference back to the transfiguration, the majesty, the fact that Jesus' body had been changed to be like God. 
he received honor and glory from God. Uh, the father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So there I think Peter is, is saying, look, you know, I've got a job to do. I've got to tell people about this Messiah. And the fact I'd seen him in his majesty on the mountain gave me greater strength and, and energy to, to, to carry on and preach the gospel. That what he, Peter was saying, he'd received from God and was true. And he used that to strengthen him in his evangelism. I'm not going to talk about other things. I'm going to move on and look about how this applies to us, but there are lots of other things there. Um, lots of the commentators kind of focus on Peter's kind of silly statement about building, building kind of shelters for them. Why did he say that? Why did he want to do that? Um, but the main message for me is the affirmation that what the disciples were doing was true and that Jesus was the Messiah, and it was their job <coughs> to, to kind of believe and carry on kind of with that message to bring others to Christ. So what about us? That's what I believe Jesus and the disciples learned from it. Um, how does this ap apply to us? Now, when you're looking at kind of historic events like this, it's always quite difficult. There are things that speak to me about this passage, but there might be other things that, that, that speak to you. So it's difficult for me to tell you this is what you should learn because you know, we should be reflecting on the passage and thinking, yeah, how is God speaking uh, to us? And for me, it, it's like Peter and the disciples. We're all on, on a spiritual journey, aren't we? None of us have ever arrived yet. We've not arrived at our destination. We're constantly learning in our kind of progress as, as pilgrims. And just like Peter, we have high points and we have low points. Peter, six days earlier, had been you know, really rebuked by Jesus for, for kind of suggesting um, that uh, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus rebuked him, a real kind of low point, as were other low points when, when he um, kind of <coughs> denied knowing Jesus later on in, 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 the, in, in the story. But he also had this amazing high points as well. And that just speaks to me about the, the graciousness of God how we can or we do all sin. We have very low points, low seasons sometimes. But God is gracious. Peter was still taking up the mountain. Peter wasn't kind of shoved off into some sidetrack after he'd rebuked Jesus and failed him. He was taking up this mountain to give him this strength and, and, the, and this vision and this amazing experience. And, and I think we all have that. God loves us. God cares for us. And Although we have low points, he also gives us these high points as, as, as well. Um, as we read his word, as we have fellowship with others, we can see God working in our lives. And we can, we can praise God for those times when we can really see him directly working in our lives and, and encouraging us. Um, our sin doesn't follow us forever, does it? You know, God is not like teachers in school who, who kind of in a, in a class you've got a naughty child and that naughty child is, is a naughty child year, you know, when he's 11 or her, she's 11. And that reputation goes with them forever, right, to the sixth form. They're still that naughty child and teachers are looking out for kind of naughty behavior all the time. Um, thankfully, God is nothing like a teacher. God loves us and, and kind of uh, doesn't look back on our sin and kind of castigate us for that. He gives us these amazing 
experiences. Secondly, there are things in our journey that we aren't going to be able to understand. Um, we don't know why God is leading us in one particular way or not. You know, there must have been lots of things that the, the, the disciples um, didn't understand. They needed affirmation. They needed encouragement, which they got. But a lot of things in, in their lives and on their spiritual journeys uh, required faith. Faith that God is with them. Faith that God loved them and cared for them. And, and thirdly, all these experiences that God gives us, I believe they're there to encourage us, they're to strengthen us, but they're also, like the disciples, to be shared. We shouldn't keep God's experiences and love for us and his affirmation that we are his people to ourselves. We should talk to other people about them. We should use them as encouragement and strengthening so that if things do happen you know, <coughs> um, in, in our Christian lives, which we know are kind of God intervening and giving us that strength, we should share. We shouldn't be ashamed of sharing that um, with other people because they're, they're designed, as Peter said, to affirm our faith, but also to encourage other people uh, to believe in him. We shouldn't keep our spiritual journey uh, to ourselves. We should be willing to share that uh, for God's glory. And those are the three things that speak to me. Other things might speak to you. But this amazing historic event gave Jesus that affirmation. It gave that disciples affirmation that, that they were doing God's will and, and part of that, and the main part of that, is bringing other people to him. Amen. So together we'll affirm our faith in this great and glorious and holy and uh, wonderful God. Uh, we're going to say an affirmation together. <clears throat> so would you like to stand? And we say together in faith, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We believe in God, the Father, who created all things. For by his will, they were created and have their being. We believe in God, the Son, who was slain. For with his blood, he purchased us for God from every tribe and language, from every people and nation. We believe in God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you like to be seated as we go into our time of intercession? This I read is called Love Our Schools Fortnight. I don't know who designates these things, but because it said Love Our Schools Fortnight in my prayer diary that I use, I'm going to base our intercessions to start with on children and schools. So let's pray. 
Lord, we pray for all schools in our area and indeed throughout the whole country to be places where children can flourish and develop in security and safety. We ask for you to grant help and guidance to any struggling with mental health or social difficulties. Grant wisdom to those adults who are in the place of leadership and offering support. We ask for enthusiasm and energy and inspiration for Ellie and the Youth of Christ team as they go into schools and colleges. May many youngsters be open to the challenge of your word. And we bring before you Oak Meadow School. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to witness before you, to witness for you. And we ask that your word will not go unheeded. We ask for special guidance for Rachel as she takes on responsibilities for children's work in schools, at, in schools and in our church. Let's move out into the world. Compassionate Saviour, we intercede for the world's poorest children, hidden from sight in awful conditions of poverty. They lack basic sustenance, health care, education. Please bless every endeavour to lift them out of poverty and help them find true hope. We bring especially to you today Morning Star in South Africa, where Sarah works and where the children live with their own health difficulties and with a very real fear of violence too. We bring to you the two million children who've left Ukraine. We pray for their safety, especially for those who've become separated from their families and are vulnerable to abuse, exploitation and human trafficking. May the personnel working for authorities and organisations be given sensitivity and clear thinking so that no child would come to harm. going to move to the two big issues in the world at the moment, to Ukraine and to Turkey and Syria. I just say before I actually pray that Ian, Ian um, Taylor told me a story this morning that he, has, he knows a pastor in Ukraine and the church, did you say about 30 people? 300, right. 300 people are living in a cellar and they are hearing the bombs and the missiles all the time. I can't imagine it. So as we picture that, we're going to pray for the leaders and decision makers. So we'll pray. We pray for politicians and world leaders that they would find a peaceful solution very soon so that the situation doesn't escalate any further. God, may your wisdom prevail in talks, in plans, and in strategies. And for the earthquake, may those in power have compassion in their hearts 
so that international aid can reach those in need, that medical supplies will get through, and that all who are hurt and bereaved will find the peace of Jesus somehow. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. I thought we might wish each other the peace of Jesus in a slightly different way, and um, I hope most of us remember the tune of Peace to You. I bless you now in the name of the Lord. I've asked Chris if he'll play it through first, and then we will stand and look around and wish it to everybody, because we're wishing each other the best thing in the whole wide world the peace of Jesus. So let's just listen to the tune and then we'll stand when thank you Chris. Sorry. You want to sit in various angles. Ursula will lead us in Holy Communion. So I'm using Eucharistic Prayer E. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, you made the world and you love your creation. You gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Saviour. His dying and rising have set us free from sin and death. And so we gladly thank you with saints and angels, praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We praise and bless you, loving Father, 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we obey his command, send your Holy Spirit, that broken bread and wine outpoured may be for us the body and blood of your dear Son. On the night before he died, he had supper with his friends, and taking bread, he gave, he praised you. He broke the bread, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when supper was ended, he took the cup of wine. Again he praised you, gave it to them, and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this and often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Father, we remember all that Jesus did. In him we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once for all upon the cross bringing before you the bread of life and the cup of salvation. We proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Lord of all life, help us to work together for that day when your kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth. Look with favour on your people. Gather us in your loving arms and bring us with all the saints to feast at your table in heaven. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honour and glory are yours, O loving Father, for ever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Please come forward as the stewards direct, and as usual, we'll take the bread and the wine back to our seats so we can consume together.
the body of Christ, keep you in eternal life. And the blood of Christ keep you in eternal life. And before we say our prayer after communion, let's just remember in prayer those who can't be with us this morning. And so, Father, we bring before you and name quietly in our hearts those of our fellowship who cannot join with us today, be they in residential care or hospital or ill or too frail. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon them today and this week. May they know your peace and your presence in their lives. Amen. And we say together the prayer after communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Thank you, Eleanor. Our final hymn is a hymn of praise. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. If you're able, would you like to stand?
May the promise of Jesus to be with us always find a lasting home in our hearts. And may it bring us the peace and joy that is his constant gift to us all. And may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen. So let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of God.